On behalf of Lineberg Information Services, this is Bob Keebler, and I'm here to talk about the proposed five-year IRA rule. By now, most of us are aware that the U.S. Senate has proposed a five-year IRA rule. This rule appears to have some momentum, and it's something practitioners should follow closely. Under the current 401A9 regulations, what happens is if I die with a designated beneficiary, my distributions will come out over the life expectancy of the beneficiary. So if I die and I leave my IRA to our four children, they can split that vertically into four separate IRAs and each child can use their own life expectancy. This is very, very important that you understand exactly how this works. When you start thinking about this, this means that a 50-year-old child would have a life expectancy of about 34 years and a 40-year-old person would have a life expectancy of about 43 years. 30-year-old would be about 53 years. So there's no magic here. And we know how this works. I divide by that factor. I subtract one. I divide by that new factor again for the next year. So that's easy. Now, if a person dies before their required beginning date and they do not have a designated beneficiary, then they're going to have to use the five-year rule. Okay, this is current law. If they die after their required beginning date, they are allowed to use what's called their ghost life expectancy. All that means is they go to a table and they are going to take distributions based on the prior owners or the, the IRA title holders' theoretical life expectancy if they were still alive. So if I died at 74 and my children had to use my ghost life expectancy, they would use 14.1 years. And we would go from there. Now, keep in mind also that notwithstanding this proposed five-year rule, my wife is going to be able to do a spousal rollover under the law today and under the proposals. Now, here we go. The proposed five-year rule would basically say that when a person dies, the money they have in their plans has to come out over a period of five years. This is very, very powerful. What that means is we're destroying all that deferral and we're getting a lot of rate compression. So no deferral and a ton of rate compression. We have to be very careful here. When we talk about this, though, we have to keep in mind that the law would provide an exclusion for the first $450,000 of funds. So at the death of the employee, only amounts over $450,000 would have to be paid out over five years. So if I died and I had $525,000 in my plan, 525 minus 450, 450 follows the old rules, 75,000 follows the new rule. Now, if I left 450 directly to my children, I left the rest to my wife, she could roll that over and at her death, another 450 would get the stretch treatment. That's very important to know. Now, these rules apply both to qualified plans and to individual retirement arrangements. So they would be subject to exactly the same treatment. There will be exceptions for minors, for disabled people, and chronically ill beneficiaries. And of course, that will all have to be defined by statute. Beneficiaries not more than 10 years younger than the employee would also be able to use their life expectancy. And finally, there'll be exceptions for a spouse. Remember, a spouse is going to be able to do a rollover. Now, let's talk about one really ugly thing that could happen here. If I have my IRA payable to a trust, and that trust is a conduit trust, 
and then I happen to die. Let's think through this. So my IRA is payable to a conduit trust. My lawyer drafted that conduit trust for very good reason, because my child has these issues where we wouldn't want he or she to receive the funds up front. The document does say, though, to qualify as a conduit trust that all IRA distributions have to go to the beneficiary. Now, what we have is at the end of the five years, all the money has to come out of the IRA. And then under the terms of that IRA document itself, all the money would go to the beneficiaries. This is very, very important. So let's just say I left my IRA to a trust for a nephew or niece who had a major problem, some type of substance problem, just theoretically. And if that happened at the end of the five-year period, they would receive all the money instead of the money just coming out over a 30- or 40-year period of time. This is very important to understand. So if this happens, we're all going to have to go back to our clients and look for those conduit trusts and try to get them turned into what are called accumulation trusts. Now, few clients will have a suitable beneficiary for an exemption at the second death. What can we do? We're going to look at a number of strategies. One solution that seems to be gaining a lot of momentum is naming a charitable trust has the designated beneficiary or has a beneficiary. It would not be a designated beneficiary per se, but it would be the beneficiary. I die, my IRA goes to a CRT. Distributions now are paid out over my children's life expectancy. That behaves very similar to an IRA. That's a very powerful thing. Naming many separate taxpayers could mitigate bracket spike. Because if we only have one beneficiary and that's coming out over five years, you can see how ugly that would be. Then we have to think about drawing down IRAs, dream life, to spread out income. So there's two solutions here, or actually three. One is I could just take money out of my IRAs, dream my lifetime, try to pay tax at 15 or 25%, whatever bracket I'm in, and then invest that, let's say, in index funds to get as much deferral as possible, step up and base it at death. The math of that may have some efficacy. Roth conversions will likely be better mathematically than pulling the money out, just flipping to the Roth, paying some tax, and then having Roth IRAs going forward. But we still would be subject to the five-year rule. So we wouldn't pick up anything on deferral. What we would avoid is bracket spike. We would avoid bracket spike. Finally, the solution that seems to be gaining the most momentum, especially in states where there's a separate state-to-state tax, would be to take, just like you would do methodical slow Roth conversions, you would methodically take out money and buy a second-to-die life insurance policy or life insurance policy on the person that owned the IRA. Maybe I take out $20,000 a year, I try to keep in the 25% bracket, and I jettison that into a life insurance trust that holds a life insurance policy and the death benefit return is somewhere between 4 and 6%. So the death benefit return would be someplace between 4 and 6%. This could be a very powerful thing. Basically, what we're going to try to do is design strategies that get us deferral, keep our deferral alive, and avoid bracket spike. Meaning bracket spike comes from I have to take out you know, three or $400,000 at the end of the five years, I want to avoid that disaster. Remember what I spoke about up front, though. I think the most pressing thing is if this bill becomes law is to go back and look for conduit trust documents or conduit trust language in rev trusts and talk with your clients about what are we going to do about this? This is the problem. 
at the fifth year after your death, all this money is going to have to come out. Everyone agrees that's unacceptable because of little Timmy's list of problems. So what we're going to do is we are going to design a different plan. We're going to design the CRT plan. We'll do Roth conversions to manage brackets. We'll look at life insurance, and we will change conduit trusts into accumulation trusts. There's certainly a lot of planning here. My hope today was to help you get your mind around where the ball could be going here so you can start thinking about A, the clients this would affect, and B, is how you would implement the strategies we just spoke on. On behalf of Weinberg Information Services, this has been Bob Keebler. Thank you for joining us today.